0: Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences you're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started.
1: everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. Our guest today is Casey Fabi, who is the head of digital marketing and e-commerce at Color Republic. How are you, Casey? Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Of course, I'm really excited about our conversation. But before we get into it, could you maybe introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your background and what it is that you're doing at the Color Republic.
2: Yeah, of course. So I've been building digital businesses for companies for over 17 years with nonprofits, startups, and major corporations like Kimberly-Clark, Corporation, as well as Mars Inc. I'm currently the head of digital marketing and e-commerce at Color Republic. We're a supplier of fresh cut flowers to the mass market, predominantly through grocery and omni-channel retailers. You can find us at Target, Walmart, Sam's Club. And again, we've been more of a traditional business in the past. But I have come on to help revolutionize that and launch us on e-commerce marketplaces like Amazon and also other omni-channel strategies with with, the big retailers like Target and Walmart. About two and a half years ago, I uh, joined Color Republic right after the pandemic. So really built the program entirely from the ground up. And we've just had great success since, since then.
1: Amazing. So would love to talk about some of your successes. But before we do that, what has been your journey professionally to get where you are?
2: Yeah, so a little bit about my journey and my background. I grew up as a 90s kid through the digital revolution. I always had a passion for technology all of my life. So I became an early adopter to tech websites, building websites during the AOL years. So I'm really dating myself here. I think one of your other prior guests called themselves a geriatric um, millennial. I would fall in that, that similar boat. <laughs> so uh, those digital experiences really shaped my early career. So I quickly got involved with social media, content marketing, website development, performance marketing, and and analytics. But what you'll learn is as you get into more of a sales function, especially in a digital landscape, you quickly acquire additional skills. You have to learn operations. You have to learn logistics and shipping. You have to understand customer service, pricing strategy. So although digital marketing becomes this great vehicle for any successful e-commerce business, a successful e-commerce business is a lot more than just digital marketing.
1: And so the Color Republic has an e-commerce business. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So our e-commerce business is predominantly through our omni-channel retailer partnerships So we are very quickly gonna be on target. We're like weeks away from being on target. Um, You can also buy our products on samsclub.com and then Amazon Marketplace. So a lot of people ask, hey, are you really direct to consumer? And I would say, yes, we are Um, direct to consumer. I have helped the company build individual products that we sell and distribute through these online channels that ship to individuals' homes. So we may not have a brand website that we're selling from directly, but we are selling direct to consumer from our farms, our facilities to your homes when you make an online purchase of our product. So I've really helped the company build the entire supply chain from the ground up across every department. I've hired people um, or we've trained additional staff brought on tech stack and, you know, many other things that are just required for operating online business through, you know, the digital channels as of today.
1: So that's interesting that you say that you have all of these e-commerce channels, but not what is traditionally direct to consumer. Why is that a decision that you, that you made? Like what went into that, especially in the light of the trend being direct to consumer, we have to have our own e-commerce platform. What led you to make a different decision?
2: Yeah, so without sharing too much about our strategy, there's a lot of competition in fresh cut flowers online. 1-800-Flowers has been selling for, you know, 20 plus years and they really started to, you know bandwagon the digital revolution in early 2000 with with their products and so you've seen these what i like to call digitally born brands because it's a lot faster time to market people don't have to go through traditional sales channels of figuring out how to sell a product through a buyer or through a retailer so these digitally born brands use these resources and technologies to get up really quickly And they've disrupted the market. And a lot of people coin that phrase, direct to consumer as selling on your own website. But I would argue it's a a label uh, that's sort of been tossed around in this world simply because those digitally born brands become a threat to the larger competitors who have maybe been using more traditional sales processes and, and sales channels. So, you know, not to go too far into mergers and acquisitions, but a lot of startups have that strategy where they're like, I'm going to build a website, go really fast, get evaluated at 50 million plus, And then hopefully these mega corporations will see me as a threat and buy me out. And so with the bootstrapping of, of selling on your own site, there's a lot of cost and a lot of investment There's not a lot of room from a margin standpoint in produce or fresh products. So the extra cost of marketing dollars is really hard to justify through these learning stages, especially with established competition. So our strategy was, where do we find a way to compete with established marketplaces that have established audiences and customers So Amazon was really, you know, a good strategy for us and there's not a lot of competition with Fresh. So we were able to to really get some traction pretty quickly with being able to sell there and then leveraging our, our retail partnerships and a lot of their omni-channel strategies. They want to invest in, you know, online sales and they look at vendors and suppliers like us to do sort of the heavy lifting. So we had to have the infrastructure, the supply chain, the digital processes, the technology, and the people in place to to really do that, and that's essentially why we've done what we've done. And it has been, you know, lower risk and higher reward for us by by doing that.
1: So, what has the fresh cut flower industry been like over the last few years?
2: Yeah, so just like everyone during the pandemic, we we struggled in the beginning and early stages. We were seen as an impulse purchase, a luxury item. People were not looking at uh, our product as an essential item to their daily lives. But what quickly started to happen a few months through the pandemic is people were not able to be together. Flowers became a way of showing someone that you love them and you care about them in the absence of seeing them. So, of course, we do a lot of sales around occasions, whether it's birthdays, anniversaries, whatever special occasion. But almost the occasion of the pandemic became a reason to give flowers. Um, I can't be there or you're even around the corner, but I can give you flowers. And so we started to see this trend of flowers for self-care as well where people just felt isolated. And there's a lot of studies and research that prove the presence of flowers in your home actually reduces stress and has a lot of mental health benefits. So it was a very interesting cycle we sort of went through as a company and as a business, but we did see a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity, especially through our digital channels and the fact that we were online and up and running for people to actually buy in and, and uh, share the experience of flowers with their friends, family, or even themselves. The great thing about floral is we want to be everywhere, right? So we want to be at the grocery store. We want to be where you shop frequently. We want to be on Amazon because Amazon is where people want to have that single destination for shopping. And, you know, people got a little advanced on Amazon. They realized they can ship to multiple destinations and only place one order. When they were sort of bound to, you know, online channels is their only option. We actually do a lot with Instacart too. So a lot of people were um, starting to do same day delivery, same day grocery. And with us being ex- an extension of produce, you know, just upselling adding flowers to your instacart purchase and just doing a little advertising around that so people don't forget and then you know the instacart driver says here's your here's your produce and here's your flowers so we're always looking for ways to to have people interact with our product in really simple meaningful ways
1: so what's some of the challenges you face by being a fresh product
2: in the e-commerce space yeah, that's a really insightful question because I don't think people really think through the logistics of selling a fresh product. And we are sort of a little late to the market. Uh, fresh and produce is kind of like a late bloomer <laughs> without being too punny, so funny. simply because it does require some very sophisticated logistics. So we have to ship everything overnight. If you don't, then your product may not make it in the best condition. So having to expedite your package is very high, especially a very high cost for us, especially on, on Amazon. But that's another reason for our strategy in working with our omni-channel retailers because often they have a much better shipping rate than what we can get. And they often allow us to, you know, sort of ride on their rails, so to speak. So it becomes a very economical way of partnering with them if we can kind of leverage the the rate that they get. So it is a hit and miss too, as much as we try to hydrate the products from our facilities, which are all temperature controlled, they're big coolers and warehouses that keep the flowers at just the right temperature. Sometimes... a a route can be late or it's on a truck longer than it should. And, you know, someone just doesn't have a great experience. And so we are very good with our customer service, making sure people do have the best experience possible and we will refund them. Obviously we don't want anyone to return flowers because what are, what are we going to do with them? Right? So we want to make sure that they're, they're happy and we give them a refund if they don't have a great experience with our product.
1: Is this all part of the learning curve that you went through during the pandemic or has this kind of always been the case when you're thinking about delivering flowers through digital channels?
2: Yeah. So my prior uh, experiences were deeply rooted in uh consumer packaged good industry. So a lot of shelf stable items. So it is a big learning curve when you're working with a fresh product and you don't realize how much precision goes into the process. I mean, if we look on the front end, we have to grow our product, <laughs> right? So We have like 15 to 18 week growing cycles at our farms. And so we have to plan really far ahead and make sure we have the supply of product. Once we started to see demand pick back up through the pandemic, we were selling more than we had planned for. So we then had a scarcity issue where we couldn't necessarily fulfill all of our orders. So it is very complicated supply chain. And there's a lot of learning that goes into it, understanding all the costs uh, to really bring the flowers from our farms to our US facilities, and then getting them to you, the final customer, is a lot of learning on the fly and asking a lot of questions to, to figure out how the industry works. And I would apply that to to any industry or any category. You can definitely infuse some of the fundamentals and the basics that you know for e-commerce and digital marketing and advertising, but you often have to flex in different directions based off the maturity of the business, where the company's at growth rate, so many different things that you sort of need to assess the situation to come up with the best strategy and the best plan. So it's really not a one size fits all. And to me, that's the fun part of, you know, building these digital businesses with, with companies is you sort of get to to learn that as you go through the steps in the process with with experts and with people who can kind of give you the depth of knowledge to really transform and create something that had never been in existence before.
1: So as a marketing leader, what's the journey you went on at Color Republic when going through this digital transformation?
2: Yeah, so marketing hadn't really been thought of too much, only because the B2B wholesale model of selling flowers and like palettes to a distribution center is sort of like okay our sale is done we've you know sent the product to where it needs to go now the grocery store the retailer has to figure out how to sell it we don't do a lot of promos because again there's there's not a lot of of margin for those extra costs so when you have to kind of go out and find your sale and advertise and promote and market this was you know very different way of thinking for um, my boss and and one of the founders of the company. So building a marketing budget had never been done before. So it was a new way of thinking, and you sort of have to introduce it in uh, a way of teaching and training why this needs to be done in a digital environment, otherwise you'll have no sales. So the best way for me to explain it in like very simple terms, especially to to people who've never done it before, is, You know, you're the retailer (laughs) and you're the supplier, essentially, when you manage an online store, you're it. You got to have the whole customer experience from point of sale to point of delivery all mapped out. So it's still difficult for us to, to really figure out, you know, at what level do we flex in terms of advertising and marketing? But I do have a marketing lead who works with me. And we use a lot of demand side platforms, which are essentially self-serve pay-per-click platforms. Amazon has one that really uh, drives a lot of our Amazon business. Facebook has one. Instacart also has one. So that really helps us stay pretty efficient and tight. We know very specifically cost per acquisition. And then we can you know turn the budget up or turn the, the budget down. We're very seasonal in Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And then, of course, people will buy for occasions and everyday purposes, but we tend to do the majority of our sales on those two holidays. So, marketing is still a transformation for this industry. Again, traditional growers and farmers, but we're getting there. We've made a lot of progress. We've seen like 10x growth rate on Instacart. Um, again, we're a multi million dollar channel, just really kind of dipping our toe into some of these strategies and, and we've seen the proof of it. So if we can do more, we absolutely will. But at the end of the day, we want to be profitable and we want to make sure we have have money in our pocket.
1: That makes sense. I think it's also really interesting to hear you talk about kind of these two sides of the business that you're running. One is you're thinking about digital channels and working with a bunch of different platforms. But then the other side, as you said, is very back to basics. You're just thinking about supply chain and and timing and profit margins because the cost of, of selling something fresh online is so high. Exactly. Great. So as a leader, personally, what are some of the challenges that you've faced with your team and how... How did you overcome them? Your business is quite complex, so I'm sure that comes with its own challenges as well.
2: Yeah, so weather can have a really adverse impact uh, on our business. And a really big challenge that happened when we first launched on Amazon a little over a year ago was end of January, right before Valentine's Day. That was very strategic. We didn't want to miss that, that major sales window. And I don't know if you remember, but we were hit by really crazy weather and storms. I know you're up in Canada, so this this may be like a, a fragment of information, but like places like Texas were getting snow and you know, frozen pipes and it was just a nightmare. And logistics. We're behind. We have limited cargo space on our planes that came from our farms in Ecuador. So packages and deliveries were late. And so we ended up like hitting the eye of the storm right in the worst time possible. And so a lot of our Valentine's Day packages and deliveries on Amazon were not great quality. They were frozen some of the flowers were just you know not at all what what someone should experience with buying our product for the first time so we me became a customer service person because we had a customer service rep and training at the time and i was responding to every single request that came in and it just like you you know you're on a group text message and you just keep getting text messages after text messages because there's like 10 15 people on a group It was sort of like that. We were like, oh my gosh, people are just having really bad problems with our our flowers due to the weather. And so that was a really harsh reality for us. We weren't sure whether we'd be able to bounce back. We did get a lot of um, ratings and reviews. But the great thing, the silver lining, is people were so impressed with our responsiveness, our willingness to refund them, our willingness to make it right that despite the condition of the flowers, they were like, Color Republic reached out to us immediately. We had a resolution to our issue. We were even sending replacements at that time because it was really important for someone to actually see the superior quality of our flowers and not, you know, something that happened due to an ice storm. So that was a pretty big challenge for us. But in that comes a lot of learning. And a lot of growth. And so we were able to take that isolated incident and evolve from it, learn from it, build some different uh, types of, you know, responses for the rep. We were training on like how to deal with these types of situations. And so we've recovered from it. And it was, you know, again, something that you probably wouldn't experience if you're selling T-shirts or hats online online. And so you just have that that real life learning that takes place in the moment, and the way that you react uh, sometimes is you know half the battle.
1: So true, so true. Are there any processes or, or frameworks that you look to to help you in these types of situations?
2: Yeah. So I think you just have to ask the basic questions. I know there's probably a lot of great consultants and minds out there who have like you know, statistical frameworks or really great methodologies that that can be effective. But in my experience, they're all your best guess. Right. And so the real learning comes from these real life experiences. But if you're constantly challenging why you're doing what you're doing, what you're doing, where you're doing it, with whom and how, I think that can really just help you stay grounded in all of this. And when we first got started, we, we did a lot of research. Like We knew who our competitors were. We knew these digitally born brands, the 1-800-Flowers, but then many others, books, Urban Stems, Farm Girl Flowers, a lot of these websites that were selling direct. And we sort of saw you know, Amazon as an, as an opportunity through, through our research. So knowing your competitors, why you're different, how we're different. We grow everything in Ecuador. It grows under perpendicular rays. We have volcanic you know, nutrients in our so- soil. We grow the biggest, best flowers in the world. And so that was our point of difference. We wanted to make sure people knew that our sustainability efforts, our rainforest certified farms, the things that we do to keep Our facilities operating at or above standards is like beyond anything that I've seen. So, we felt that's how we could go to market. So, you know, you just ask those questions. You understand your costs. You understand the implications of your decisions. If you bring on talent, what are your operational costs going to be? How long is it going to take you to actually become profitable? A lot of people have this mentality that. They'll just be profitable out the gate. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. So you have to work towards a vision for the future and just constantly be asking yourself those questions and build relationships with others, especially a company like this. We're about a $200 million business. There's a lot of established people, tenure departments, and you have to build trust quickly with those leaders of the organization. And you need to help them understand where areas need to be adapted. So sometimes it's having conversations with them and and learning from them. They're the experts, be the good listener, be the note taker, let them fill in your knowledge gaps and you sort of just develop your own agile framework that's just built on these fundamental questions that any great marketer knows to ask. So I would say, don't overthink it, just start asking questions, learn from people who've been doing it and from there you kind of come up with your playbook or your recipe to success and you see if it works or not because sometimes your plans don't always go accordingly again we really didn't want to launch on amazon and have to refund most of our products due to weather conditions but we did and so you have to you know be willing to to pivot when needed without using too much of a buzzword but but you really do
1: as you're asking yourself these questions I guess part of it is around technology and how to use technology as well. What are some of the questions you would ask yourself to to make sure that you're using technology effectively?
2: Yeah, technology can really be an enabler for growth and scalability, but you have to know when to use it and when to not. So really having a purpose for technology is always a great starting point. So if it's going to solve some sort of business challenge by making someone's job more efficient, then that's a huge win. Go ahead and and jump on the technology bandwagon. But sometimes it's not that simple. Some tech is really great for marketing teams based off how they work. But that same tech may not be great for product development, operations, or sales. So you have to understand when technology is going to be helpful and when it's going to be a hindrance. Again, hands down, there's certain technology that absolutely is a must for an e-commerce business. And we have a lot of legacy systems in how we operate very efficiently. And we could tweak some of them a little bit, but there was no reason to like build anything like Shopify. So we just Use Shopify as a middleware to to accept all of our orders and and integrate it through other internal systems, but you sort of need to know like where's the middleware to be a stopgap between two different worlds and when do you, you know, do something custom and when don't you? So technology is a beautiful thing. But sometimes it can also create more work for other teams that are already overly processed, use way too many systems, and they're just not going to adopt this new marketing tool that you're selling to them. So again, it goes back to defining the purpose, the objective the tech will play, and if it will make someone's job easier, or if it's like an infrastructure requirement for us, like we had to implement Shopify, ShipStation, and Zendesk because Our company didn't have systems for, you know, a full digital supply chain. So we had to come up with some solutions, but I will tell you, there's no way we were abandoning our, our company's, you know, in intelligence of how they operate. So we had to figure out how to integrate uh, into that. So technology is great, but again, I I think you just have to be very cognizant of of the objective of the tech and, and how helpful it will be. what you're trying to achieve.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So as we're thinking about wrapping up, do you have any advice or beliefs that you think would be helpful for teams that are going through similar challenges or trying to grow their business?
2: Yeah. So I think for anyone who's wanting to go through some level of digital transformation, because I would say that's exactly Sort of what we've talked about with you know a traditional business flexing digitally is to really own your ability to lead. So I think you have to have really strong leadership skills to help transform a company. And there's a couple like leadership philosophies that I've always subscribed to. Uh, one of them is just being able to respect other people and trust the process. I think oftentimes. You have to be open to new ideas from others, how they work, and you sort of just figure out where trust comes in the middle of that and where you respect them. Respect people's time. I think the pandemic has sort of like been bad for us in the sense where we don't create boundaries. Well, you need to. <laughs> and digital will always be crushing down on you, asking you to do more. So if you're not putting any type of constraint into that, it can, it can totally get out of control. I would also say that you really need to look at doing a high level of quality. Nike has this great new slogan that says like, greatness is never done. And I love that, especially for digital innovators. Like we're always finding new solutions or making something better or solving another problem. And I think you have to have that mentality in a digital environment is that you're constantly improving and you're making something better. Like you don't settle because once you settle status quo, someone else's idea will come in and just hammer down on you. So I think having you know that mentality that greatness is never done is another really great piece of advice I would give people who are trying to you know take on these tasks. And then um, a favorite quote of mine that I kind of live by is if you want something you've never done, you need to be willing to do something. If you want something you've never had, excuse me, I'm going to mess up my own quote here. If you want something you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. So take risks. The, the internet is a great resource. Don't be fearful of what you don't know. Go out there and teach yourself, learn it. And you own your destiny, go and claim it. And there's you know, no one who's ever said, life came to them easy without having a lot of you know, hard work and grit, sweat, and tears behind it. So be willing to, to build that, that vision for the future, or be willing to build that next thing for someone who doesn't know how. And putting passion behind it is always a great accelerator. So I would say not only have we brought this great digital supply chain, a way for people to buy and interact with our products online, We've also been able to be accelerators. And so most people, I think, will admit in digital spaces that, you know, accelerating is contagious. It's almost like a drug. Like once you start it, you like don't want to stop. So being able to to accelerate and go at a fast pace, but of course, within those boundaries, is definitely um, something that's exciting uh, to be able to do uh, for for Color Republic, and I love it. I just love my job.
1: Oh, I love hearing that. I think for for me as well, it's been so interesting to hear you talk about an industry that I'm not familiar with, but there's still so many parallels between what you're doing and and you know a lot of our other listeners who are working in similar but different environments as well. So thank you so much for your extremely unique perspective. It's been, it's been lovely having you on the show. Yes.
2: Thanks so much for having me and letting me share. And I'm glad uh, everything worked and, and the technology survived on us. So that's always fun.
0: What if you could provide all of your consumers the most relevant digital experience? With predictive personalization at the heart of your digital marketing strategy, you can build meaningful relationships with consumers and grow your business quickly. Brainify's AI-driven platform can help you at any stage of your personalization journey, whether you're looking to collect data, optimize customer journeys, or curate predictive personalized experiences. Using one line of code, Brainify integrates with any marketing tool you already use in just two weeks. Ready to learn more about creating personalized digital consumer experiences? Connect with us at brainify.ai. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a Brainify podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.